Thank you, Mr. Douglas. Yeah. Ah, bonjour, bonsoir, bon appétit. Here we are again to taste, enjoy, digest, and assimilate. <laughs> chapter 18 and chapter 19 of Ingo Swan's Secrets of Power, Volume 1. Ah, merci for you to be here. It is a pleasure to be with you today and every time we get together as we grow in our power together. If you're along the ride with me here in real time, happy end of the year here, 2022. It came, it had an impact, and now we're ready to see it go. And while I have no idea what might be coming down the line for 2023, I do know we will be more knowledgeable and therefore stronger in our own senses of power. Ha-ha! Chapter 18, here we go. Chapter 18. Closed-loop versions of power. Ingo kicks us off with, It's quite natural to become interested in examples of power that are manifested within smaller or larger areas of activity that one has access to. Just look at the classroom. Who's sitting at the cool kids' table? Who gets invited to the parties? Who do the teachers like? Who do the teachers like to pick on? And who is picking on the teacher? Ah, oh, the power dynamics of middle school. And Ingo makes the point, any knowledge acquired about power is better than not acquiring any at all. And even if people fail in their initial empowerment objectives, they nevertheless will have added frames of reference to their knowledge pools. And adding frames of reference, we know, is one of the big to-dos when it comes to increasing our senses of power and power overall. Ingo restates that very fact the most fundamental basis for empowerment is to continuously add frames of reference. That's funny. I guess that's why, or one of the reasons why people say travel is so fantastic. You are exposed to so many different frames of reference and you must adapt. I miss it. Maybe 2023 will be a year of travel for good old Mr. Douglas. We'll see. Otherwise, Ingo says, ignorance of power and empowerment will never be ameliorated and upgrading towards empowerment will remain stultified, which is just a fancy way of saying stuck. There are subtle issues involved with this kind of study that are important to achieving a larger understanding about power. One of these issues is connected to the fact that when people aim for empowerment, they're doing so within the context of the power environments, the power ecosystems in which they wish to achieve more power. And the contacts of those power ecosystems are based around specific frames of reference. These frames of reference imply rules regarding power and empowerment. And if one is playing by the book and is obeying these rules, there is at least hope for empowerment. But when we're in a situation in which the power activities within the ecosystems, the environments, more or less feedback the authenticity of the frames of reference and their working contexts, this is clearly, Ingo says, a closed loop kind of thing. In that, success or failure is governed by 
acting in ways that match up with the frames of reference. Basically, you can use these frames of reference to achieve some modicum of power, some amount of power, but those frames of references within the ecosystem of power that you're existing in confirms the authenticity, quote-unquote, the authenticity of those frames of references. And I know I've referenced it several times before, but I'm reading Whitney Webb's One Nation Under Blackmail, Volume 1, and she's just laying down stack after stack of how illicit, under-the-table, dirty, illegal, sordid, corrupt dealings have had a huge hand in the way things proceeded during World War II, but especially post-World War II into the 50s and 60s, in particular discussing Roy Cohn, J. Edgar Hoover, the Red Scare, and corresponding Lavender Scare, and just how on the surface, during those days especially, you were told, follow the rules, citizen, and you'll get ahead. Be a part of this great American experiment. Right? So they lay out this idea that, hey, you know, look, you play along and do right by your fellow free citizens, and you'll get ahead. This is a meritocracy. But what was happening behind the scenes, underneath and out of sight of that lovely facade, was that crime, crime and blackmail and corruption, we're talking bribes, and we have photos of you pursuing illicit, intimate acts with others. And during the 50s and 60s, Lavender Scare refers to a chase out of homosexuals within the United States business and government class, which was apparently a uh, quiet, more subtle pastel undertone to the Red Scare, which was going on at the same time, trying to suss out communism from, again, the United States, academic, entertainment, business, and government industries. But all this to say that here you have a self-referential frame of reference saying, no, do good, and it will support the United States. That's all good, right? And while, yes, it is good to be a good person and to support freedom, that the authenticity of the reality of that frame of reference is anything but. Because what was going on during that time was some of the most aggressive, underhanded, corrupt, mob boss-style tactics, which are still going on today. But it's just wild to read about. So anyway, there clearly were other ways to go about achieving empowerment during this time in recent U.S. history, far outside the presented frame of reference of a strong, free, and open representative republic. So breaking it down, small-time power can be achieved within small-time frames of reference. But that power might not work when it comes to big-time frames of reference or other kinds of frames of reference. And that's really interesting to think about. You know, I could be incredible when it comes to sensing the finer notes of fine wine and foods to the point where I could be paid for my erudite criticism of such. However, when it came to writing down what it is that I so eloquently sense, the same frame of reference for sensing and tasting subtlety and eccentricity within flavors that touch my palate is not the same as sitting down and writing out in a descriptive enough way for others to understand and perhaps glean into the subtle, delicious experience that I may be having. Some frames of reference don't work with other frames of reference. I was trying to think about it in terms of chess, like, oh, I could be a chess, I could be really good at chess, but I could suck at talking to people. But, you know, if you think about a chess player, 
I think a chess player would actually, well, I mean, I guess there are certain aspects to chess that would make you a good conversationalist, but you could still suck at it. I think you could still suck pretty hard at being a conversationalist, even if you were a grandmaster at chess. Ingo goes on, consider the worlds of politics, sociology, business, criminality, entertainment, etc. Each have their own manifesting power system set based in their own closed-loop frames of reference, as well as their own hidden mechanisms and situations. So an individual achieving power within science can easily be power defunct in the worlds of politics, art, philosophy, etc., because the frames of reference are different. You know, he made that point a lot easier than I tried to make that point, but the point has been made. Okay. Vicissitudes of Power and Empowerment And real quick, vicissitude means the quality or state of being changeable, a change or mutation visible in nature or in human affairs, also unforeseen or unexpected change. So, Ingo says, it's usual to construct a model for empowerment for the different worlds of activity based on what can easily be seen, right? The power game world is going to be different in the cafeteria than it is going to be in the football field. It's going to be different in science class than it is going to be in the school play. However, most power systems are also encapsulated within hidden situations, which are based on more obfuscated frames of reference. The first of these hidden situations is the fact that they change a lot. They're transitory. They have quite a bit of vicissitude within them. And this is also so with the people within these structures. So not only do the power structures or frames of reference shift and change, and that makes sense. Circumstances change as time marches onward, and so power structures may change with them. And the people within them will change as well. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Time. <laughs> Ingo makes this point, which I put a star by. Indeed, one of the working characteristics of Machiavellian stealth power techniques is to deliberately cause power modalities to change so that existing power people can be dethroned and new upcoming ones can claim installation in their place. Definitely take time to consider with a keen eye and mind those that are calling for the downfall of any certain power structure. They may be pulling a Machiavelli. But is this changing? It's this vicissitude? That might have helped inspire the old axiom, power is fickle. And also, more directly, the vicissitudes of power. Power also reminds me of the term currency, which is based off of current, which is always moving and changing and flowing. Currency doesn't stagnate if it is successful. Currency moves. It is used, utilized. And so that's really interesting. Power always changing, always moving like the current, like currency, perhaps needs to be guided and helped along or given at least a channel to move through. If it sits there, it's not going to want to be there for that long. Power is fickle. Some could say power is like a hot lady that knows it. A hot lady that knows it isn't going to stick around if the hot lady is not being entertained or find some value in staying put. She's going to leave. There are better places to be. I don't blame you, hot lady. And I don't blame you, power. But speaking of sticking around, now we get to talk about staying power. Staying power can be conceptualized, Ingo says, as surviving power changes in an ever-changing power world. So if you're pursuing power, empowerment, you might acquire some staying power as well, maybe. If it's true empowerment you are pursuing, and not some kind of artificial power, 
Ingo makes the point of saying that those who manage to occupy positions of artificial power often fall like lined-up dominoes when strategic power changes come about. Now, stealth power could be considered as more staying, especially if it's not detected, if it's not seen. If nobody knows it's there, it's not going to really be changed from the outside too much. But if it's not being changed from the outside, stealth power devotees are always at staying power risk, those stealth power people inside the stealth power place. These people are always at risk of stealth power people machinations and other opportunistic devotees and functionaries. Stealth power wars are nerve-wracking. But, Ingo says, it is from an in-depth examination of stealth power wars that a clue emerges regarding the nature of staying power. Anyone who does become at least somewhat proficient in stealth power cannot possibly think only in terms of existing formats and models set up at the societal, group, or individual power levels. Those formats are based on limited frames of reference. And so uh, stealth power is going to be outside the frame of those limited frames of reference, outside of those closed loop frames of references. In high contrast, Ingo says, proficient stealth power activity must be based on factors that transcend the limits of closed loop power activities in order to survive the changes that go on within them. Staying power is closely related to other power factors that transcend closed loop and or limited frames of references. That those other power factors, those that are transcending those closed loop frames of references, can be applied to closed loop power situations, or can at least trickle down into them because they transcend them. And Ingo makes the point to state it may be helpful to be reminded that all visible societal power structures do not represent power itself, but are merely societal artifices via which power is distributed to the few and withheld from the many. Remember that. Everything we are exposed to, introduced to, and operate within on our societal structural level has been put together, and that it does not in any fundamental way represent power. In and of itself, they are simply expressions or artifices for power to be expressed through. And as we move forward, we will begin to discuss just how we can create our own frames of reference for our own empowerment to flow through. Items to explore. Identify at least five societal power structures that have closed loop frames of reference and do not include the wealthy because their societal power structures are all too obvious and therefore don't constitute a cognitive challenge. All right, all right, I got you. Take it easy, Ingo. <laughs> Let's see. At least five societal power structures that have closed loop frames of references. I mean, <laughs> I was raised in the Catholic Church, and so that one comes up pretty quick. The idea that you are born into sin and that the only way to get rid of sin is to go to the church and have them dunk you in some water or drizzle some water on your baby head. But that it's through the church and only through the church that you're going to escape eternal damnation. There's a closed loop frame of reference. I'm very thankful for my upbringing. I came away with a great sensitivity to spiritualism and a rich inner spiritual life that I continue to enrich to this day. Very thankful for that. Also, I was the jokey joke that would sing like it was a great time in church, 
instead of the somber I am not worthy kind of vibe that they like to put out there, I was ha I was <laughs> singing it up, having a good old time, especially this last Christmas. Went to Christmas Mass, there was a choir, there were bells, real good piano player out there, wow. And so yeah, I was having a great time. And you could tell, the pews and the people in them around me were all like, who's this dude? Okay, guy. There was some of that for sure. But it was a great time. And you could consider that breaking out of the closed loop frame of reference, where you got to go to church to remind yourself how terrible you are and that salvation is only through the church. No, I'm going to have a good time right now. All right, enough examples. I'd be interested to see what you guys think. What are some power structures that have closed loop frames of reference? Break it down for me in the comments. <laughs> hey, it's great that you're here. Let's take a quick break and we'll get into chapter 19. All right. And we are back here for chapter 19, which has a great title. Power, Intelligence, and Smarts. Power, Intelligence, and Smarts. For those that have trouble understanding my garbled French accent. Ingo kicks this chapter off. An aspect, subtle aspect, that's embedded in social conditioning, gives the teaching that the top echelons of the typical power pyramid personify power itself. Well, those people at the top are powerful. They represent power. Mm, I don't know. This teaching is converted easily into the idea that the personification of power is power itself. So if you personify power, you must be power. No, I don't think so. Nice try. How many times have we noticed? With increasing rapidity. Let's just take Sam Bankman Freed, for instance. A gentleman who was... Gentleman is a nice way of putting it. This dude had a lot of money was moving a lot of money, very powerful. You got access to that much currency, that's a lot of power, right? But is he power himself? No, I don't think so. Makes you wonder about those who are invisible in that situation and what kind of staying power they may have. Going to be interesting to see what happens to his parents and those his parents are connected to, worked with, and who worked with and met with his son that are in certain notable places of power within the U.S. government. Yeah, Mr. Gensler, this would be very interesting. So anyway, the personification of power is not actually power itself, though the teaching would like us to have us think that. And to most, Ingo goes on, this is accepted as fundamental. It becomes difficult to conceptualize anything that transcends this unilateral teaching. And let's get some definitions in. Unilateral has three functional definitions. One, one-sided. Two, of or relating to one side of a subject. And three, whatever is produced or arranged so as to be directed to one side, to the exclusion of other sides. The concept of power is control, authority, and influence over others is actually only one side of the subject of power. But if this single side is going to be good at what it does, if it's going to be efficient in social conditioning, then the idea that power might have other sides cannot be talked about. <laughs> it's got to be disappeared, or at the very least, not emphasized. So, if that is what power is, then it's difficult to conceptualize anything else that might be power, or at least would transcend this 
unilateral, closed loop, frame of reference. And it is interesting to me, forever interesting, fascinating, when I am in conversation with others and you bump into moments within the conversation where the individual uses the words, I can't imagine that. I can't understand that. I can't imagine that. That right there is a frame of reference that A is unilateral and B is not true. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You won't because it is foreign. Because it is different. It is anti, probably, to what your particular point of view is. But telling yourself and others that you can't is a frame of reference that uh, is exclusionary and limiting. All right, Ingo goes on, the anatomy of control authority and influence over others is not the anatomy of power itself, but merely the anatomy of uses of power. If the uses, as contrasted to the anatomy of human design power structures, are examined, it can be seen that they easily break into two purposes, two sections, having the following priority. One, first purpose has to do with distributing the uses, functions, and rewards of power among those who become part of the structure. This means more uses and the dominion that goes with them to the few who established the dominion, the elite, either visible or invisible. Then lesser uses of power go to those who agree to the dominion and who agree to work within and on behalf of the dominion of the few. Important, though, Ingo says, unless the distribution of the uses of power is first sorted out, then the second purpose can't really come into being because the second purpose is the infamous control authority and influence over others within the power structure entire. And again, this is not a definition of uh, the uses of power. This is a uh, discussion and uh, breakdown of the uses of the human design power structures. And Ingo says, human design power structures are seldom called as such Usually, they're called social structures, and those incorporated in them are referred to as society. Transcending social condition concepts of power. So, the general public is usually denied power knowledge, right? They know power schools out there, not ones easily and readily accessible. Not only via social conditioning are people denied access to power knowledge, but also, as a result of actually making such knowledge permanently unavailable. Makes you wonder about why they burned down the Library of Alexandria. Beyond that, one of the prevailing aspect problems is why power seems to flow or collect within some and not others. And this is cool. The English language, Ingo says, doesn't have an exact term for this, but German does. Machtmensch. This could be translated into English as power maker. But in German, it's closer to power human. And when I searched on Google, Google says power man. Basically, anybody who has some kind of intuitive contact with the kinds of power energies. If Ingo were to have a hand in making an English version, he would say power energy human, as contrasted to power de-energized human. In societal terms, first, it can be thought that simply denying access to power might be a most efficient goal. Yeah, efficiency. But unless the power potentials among those members were de-energized in some specific fundamental way, denying access only to power could become quite a contest and burden, because 
We are a power species, and thus power that resides within us all. And power wants to flow. In other words, Ingo says, the powerless must somehow feel powerless in a way that will neutralize and or de-energize any feelings of being powerful. Being born into a naturally powerless class is an example. Think of the class structure of India. Uh, social, being socially conditioned to think of oneself as stupid, not smart, slow, that you don't have enough education, that you're not smart enough, that you're not acceptable to society as a whole or to your betters. These are all very good ways to describe a way of de-energizing a person through a frame of reference, no? Above all, Ingo says, the powerless must not be permitted to have any idea of what can transcend human-designed power structures, those societal artifices mistaken as power itself. The ideas of power energization and de-energization will begin to take on meaning, at least with regard to starting up empowerment processes within oneself. So it will be illogical to suppose that power energization attracts power, right? And power de-energization would not do that. It might even repel power. Ah. And there's a lot of talk, you know, on the Twitter about self-mastery, about discipline, and about certain behaviors that will depower. Specifically, I'm talking about, you know, dudes right now. But uh, um, frequent self-gratification in all of its forms seems to be a real big de-energizer. Frequent self-gratification. Food. You know what I'm thinking about. Food. (laughs) Or, uh, uh, you know, intimate self-gratification. But yeah, the idea that there are activities that would de-energize and even repel energization and power from you. A society's ruling class would have a lot to gain from a lot of people pursuing activities that would de-energize themselves. Definitely makes you consider what's readily available for us all out there. Not to say that that stuff is bad in and of itself. Not at all. It's all a part of the human condition. But it is the misuse. So, Ingo says, a macht mensch would in a fundamental way be power energized. If only because a macht mensch would not be considered as being power de-energized. Yeah. Among the many other possible power energy factors, there are at least three that can be energized or de-energized. And they can all be distinguished as characteristic of power energized humans. These factors can be identified as, one, essential power itself, two, intelligence, and three, smarts. These three factors might also be thought of as, one, empowering powers over power manifestations and uses, two, empowering formats of intelligence, and three, empowering smarts. Smarts is that I can grok this, I can pick this up, I figured this out. Intelligence, a way not only to understand but make better, improve, discover, and empowering powers over power manifestations and uses. I mean, hey, that's the base level of it all. Empowering powers over power manifestations. Empowering the power that powers you. That's a kind of frame of reference that I want to be looking through. There's an axis that I would be happy 
to be a wheel upon. Spin me around that. To have a mind frame of empowering my powers over power manifestations. Yes. How do we get to do that, Ingo? He'll tell us. In so many words. Again, volume two is one hell of a thing because he does go into much greater detail the myriad, manifold manifestations of power expressions in all of us. Obviously, it's no DK encyclopedia. We're going to make that. It's going to happen one day. But the idea of shaping oneself around powers that transcend human societal power structures seems to be a pretty good yellow brick road to walk on. Now, Ingo says, these three factors can transcend the usual definitions of power uses, and they have something to do with staying power. But there are few frames of reference that are directly applicable to them. They're so fundamental, they seem almost abstract. These three factors would attract power to those in which they become energized. So he says, in chapter 9, we talked about four generic ideas of power. Force power, artificial power, real power, stealth power. He added, last chapter, staying power. And to those, we're adding here in chapter 19, empowering powers over power manifestations and uses, empowering formats of different kinds of intelligence, empowering formats of smarts. Items to fool around with. In a power games kind of way, consider which of these eight kinds of powers could transcend others. And just as to, uh, to playing with it just a little bit, the ones he gave us here in this chapter all seem to kind of transcend and bleed into all of the other kinds of powers. I mean, if you're empowering a power over power manifestations, those manifestations are going to be manifested through staying power, stealth power, real power, force power, artificial power, whatever. If you are empowering formats of intelligence, kinds of intelligence, that empowering of intelligence will transcend and bleed into all the other ways of expressing power. Empowering formats of smarts? You're going to be empowering your fundamental ability to grok situations. Walk into a room and boom, understand all of the power differentiations between everybody talking. Pick up exactly where the caviar is, go to it, chat up the individual that you are obviously attracted to and is attracted to you, buy the caviar, they spread some for you, turns out you have the same taste in movies, and you had a great time meeting this person and many others at this party because of your empowering of your formats of smarts. Let's go 2023, time to go to some dinner parties. Hey everybody, awesome, awesome. I think these are wonderful frames of reference to hold in our minds as we slide on into 2023, that we may all have a little staying power amidst the changes that are forever happening, that we may grow, expand, and empower our powers over power manifestations and use that empowerment for better individual, societal, and collective existences. In the next chapter, as a bit of a teaser, Ingo will go into evocative power, intelligence, and smart. And by the time we're done with both of these volumes, I think we will be able to whittle away our own totem pole of a personal power axis in which we can, each of us, stand in and grow through to beautiful new heights. We're starting now. <laughs> 
Well, thanks for hanging, everybody. More power to you. And Happy New Year.